and welcome to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Joe Stevens. I'm Samuel Hunt. And I'm Joe Nichols. And for the purposes of this podcast, Joe Nichols will be referred to as either Nichols or Nipso to avoid any confusion. Yeah, because we've got two Joes in the room. Yeah, it's amazing. Outnumbered. So, here we go. Um, What have we got coming up, Joe? Stevens. So, just after the intro, I'll be doing Batman vs Superman. The biggest film out of the year so far, so I thought, you know, we, we should probably do it. There's been a lot of talk about it, you'll mm. hear, you know, my opinion. It's almost unavoidable to pick up some kind of critical consensus on it. I mean, just scrolling it, yeah, through no, Facebook. It is, it is. I, I haven't read any or heard any kind of full reviews, yeah. but, you know, it's easy to pick you, up on you, the general... You get the general feeling. <laughs> yeah, the, ge- the general feeling. It's good. It's not. I mean... It's it's funny actually the way the films have fallen because we're doing that film which as you said is probably the biggest blockbuster we've had so far yeah. and then the film that I'm reviewing is Get a Job which is probably the smallest release that we've done. you could possibly imagine. I mean yeah. we'll talk about that we'll talk about that when it comes up. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got uh, the return of our infamous Marmite movies section. Yeah. So we've gone again. We like to mix it up on the show. We've gone from knocked up. Uh, you know, which I defended in Samuel uh, prosecuted in the uh, barrage of abuse. <laughs> yeah, it got heated. If you listened, which you know, if you haven't, go back and listen to that now. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this week we're Come doing back to this one. Yeah, we're doing Twilight Eclipse. Yeah. Which, so who's you know is Joe going like to okay. like it? Take a guess as to as to who's defending it and and who's attacking Joe, it. Joe, who always sees the good in a film, and Samuel, who's you know shrewd and. Uh, Cynical. Cynical, exactly. Okay, take this moment. Have a think. Samuel, reveal your feelings, your your, your general feelings about Twilight. Are you going to be defending it, or...? I'm going to, of course I'm going to be defending okay. it. Okay. I think it's a work of genius. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, prepare for that, listeners. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what else, what else have we been watching this week? I've, um, over the last fortnight, I've seen a few... I haven't actually been to the cinema, but I watched quite a few movies at home. Mm. I saw the Amy Winehouse documentary. Amy. Uh, Amy, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, really good. Really? Really harrowing. I mean, it was a difficult watch. Yeah, and, you know, you can definitely see why her dad didn't want it released. Uh, yeah. He comes off as a complete... complete jerk. And her boyfriend. Yeah, and her boyfriend. Um, but, you know, her dad, who should who is in, like, a position of trust... Yeah, and I kind of feel like he had a lot more to uh, to lose from it coming out, you know. Yeah, you know, he, her, the boyfriend, um, what's his name? Blakefield Civil. Yeah, Blakefield Civil. Yeah. You know, he didn't have a great reputation anyway. anyway yeah, yeah, he wasn't. It's like, oh god, he's such a dick after that documentary. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, oh, I really liked him before. Yeah, no, I had such high opinion of him. <laughs> <laughs> his reputation is on the rocks. <laughs> the release of Amy. <laughs> The reputable barrister of... Yeah, yeah, so I thought that was fantastic. And interestingly as well, um, this is a film podcast, but I went to uh, a a play in Sheffield in The Crucible, which was called The Nap, and it's about about snooker, starring Jack O'Connell. Who would have thought it? Yeah, Yeah, of Skins and Unbreakable. Unbroken. Unbroken. Unbreakable. Unbreakable, that's like a um, thingy... um, Do you think of Untouchable? No, he's thinking no. of Unbreakable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a Bruce Willis film? Probably, yeah. Yeah. They all kind of merge into one, don't they? Well, the Bruce Willis films. Yeah. Yeah. And films of those titles. Yeah. But I think Maybe. Unbreakable was quite good. It's got, it's got a twist at the end. I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen it either, but I've read about it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, this play was really good. Jack O'Connell playing an um, up-and-coming snooker star who gets pulled into a, a con and... Um, it, 
kind of his love for the game and everything that he's built his life around, which is snooker, kind of comes crashing down when he's persuaded to to throw a frame against an opponent. Uh, it was a yeah, it was a really interesting watch, and I I don't particularly like stage productions as much as cinema. You know, are I you into snooker? But I am massively into snooker okay. and into oh, cons so and stuff like that. So, so you're yeah. and you're aware of the general um, uh, kind of ideas around it, the context around. I mean, it was throwing frames and stuff. Yeah, like, especially at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a film. It wasn't a, a film. It wasn't a stage production that sort of drip fed you the plot. I mean, mm. it was it was intelligent and it didn't it didn't just explain long sections of snooker to you. But there were actually bits of snooker in it, and mm. uh, Jack O'Connell got to pot a couple of balls in the Crucible, which is the home of snooker. So, yeah. I mean, it must be the first time someone who's not a pro has been allowed to pot uh, pink and black in uh, in the Crucible, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So, I yeah. just wonder how they uh, how do they pull off him not actually being a snooker professional? The... Well, exactly. I mean, he must have been so nervous. That, so they had a pro who came out and did like a really long break of like sixty or something, okay. and then he purposely missed the pink and left it over the pocket. And then the black was it wasn't completely. It wasn't right over the pocket. You know, it was a difficult pot. You know, mm-hmm. it was one that you know I would or an amateur player would make maybe fifty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So he must have just practiced that so much. Yeah. So, so, so it was actually it was real then. Yeah, it was. was yeah, it was live. Well, unless they were using like magnets to draw yeah. the balls into the pockets, but no, 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 it was certainly real. So no, that was really good. And uh, have you seen anything, Joe? Yeah, I saw Mr. Calzaghi. Yeah, you told me about that. What was that? Yeah, so um, it was a direct Q and A at the Crouch and Picture House, which we'll go to our, our favorite. a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. Um, normally, can't really speak of that. So Mr. Calzaghi, as you might guess, is about the middleweight champion. Uh, boxer Joe, Joe Kalzaki. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, do you know much about Joe Kalzaki? I know nothing Joe? about Joe okay. Well, he is middleweight and light heavyweight champion, retired undefeated after 46 or 47 fights, which is, you know, pretty okay. unusual for someone who fought at the top level for so long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the film is kind of about his, um, his career, but more about his relationship with his dad and the fact that he's, throughout his entire career, trained, um, basically managed by his dad, who prior to that had no boxing experience or qualifications whatsoever. So it's about these two Welsh guys taking on kind of the whole world of boxing and mm. coming out with their reputations, fortunes and bodies intact. character study or a sort of study. epic? Um, it was a character study. It's, it's a puff piece, really. It's mm. uh, all done with the, kind of the consent of Joe Calzaghi, really. Right. Um, oh, right. But, but what is what is good about it is so it doesn't slag him off then. <laughs> no, no, not the slightest. Um, but Joe Kazagi, because he sued his old promoter, has has the rights to all his fight footage. So it has all his fight footage, which is unusual and you know yeah. really yeah. really good. Um, and Enzo, who is his dad, just kind of steals the show. So you know it's good. It's you know it's quite entertaining. The father son relationship is is nice. Do you think it was was would be better than that Ronaldo? Uh... I haven't Love seen that. I really, want, I really wanted piece. to. I, I don't think I would have been able to sit through it. To be honest, I think I would have had to walk out. I really want to watch that. Um, was it United? The the FIFA. United. Oh no, no the um, FIFA one. Oh, with Tim Roth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or was it um, United Nations? Or was it not United Nations? <laughs> oh, but there's God. basically a FIFA-produced uh-huh. film about FIFA with, with like <laughs> Tim yeah. Roth and Sam Tim Roth Neill. Is Really? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah it, it's awful apparently. But is it just like a, United an advertisement? United Passions. United. Uh, United, is it an advertisement for FIFA? Yeah. Basically? yeah. yeah. A bit like, like by FIFA. the internship was an advertisement for, for Google. Google. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though I quite like the internship. Uh, yeah, I don't mind the internship either, actually. Uh, uh, that uh, comment you made about the um, about 
Joe Calzaghe's fights being in the film. Yeah. Uh, it just reminds me of when I went to the Phoenix in East Finchley to watch the Guna Review, which was, uh, which was just the season review of Arsenal's previous season. But because obviously they don't, <laughs> it was an am- like not amateur produced, but like independently produced, so they obviously can't afford the rights to any footage. So it's just people, people talking, people about talking it. about individual games and um, well, was it a up, feature film or a, docu- a it documentary feature, it was a feature length documentary Jesus about, about <laughs> it was it was like imagine people just sitting around talking about stuff <laughs> no <laughs> not talking about stuff talking about one season at Arsenal one, se- yeah. one season at Arsenal Jesus which, Christ which wasn't even particularly eventful like, like that like, Zinedine Zidane documentary that Mark Moe hated <laughs> so much oh, he, he walked, he game, walked out it? of it in Cannes did he? Just the, the one game? It, yeah, one game, it had loads of just cameras following Zinedine Zidane at loads of different angles. And Commode's like, uh, he's like, there's, there's very few things that I hate. One of them is conceptual art. The other is football. The only thing I hate more than that is conceptual art about football. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think it's, it's Commode's type of film. No, but it sounds pretty awful, mate. If you're into football, why would you want to watch appreciate... 90, Why do you want to watch a whole football match again, just in different camera angles? To appreciate the beauty of Zinedine Zidane, <laughs> yeah, of one of the greatest players. And then he goes and headbutts someone at the end of the match. Whoever played, whoever played the game in his mm. final game, in you know, I I, think, I just don't I, understand I, what I it's doing in the cinema. Mm. In the cinema, I can get that, yeah. um, but I think if you're into football. And you appreciate someone like Zidane who had a huge influence on football and was one of the greats. It might be interesting to take him, you know, just on his own, as separate from the game, and see what he does. They should screen it in O'Neill's or something. It's a film that should be screened in a pub, not a bloody mm. cinema. I can uh, oh, imagine I it can. can. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can. Of all places. You go to the best, you know, the most famous film festival mm. in the world, and you go and watch a regenerated football game. Mm. I, th- I think it would work, uh, best place where it would be bar kick in Shoreditch. Yes. Yeah, that would be, yeah, just in the background. Yeah. yeah just... There we go. Bar kick, if you're listening. Just, <laughs> yeah, you go and stick do it that. on. Yeah, stick it on. Okay, good. Um, so, coming up, we have Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. So the first review this fortnight is uh, Batman vs Superman. So I saw this uh, last week. Um, you know, I thought I'd heard. You know, I guess I'm going to say mixed things about it. I heard. How pre- I heard soon did you negative. see it? Like into into release. It's release. So it was released on um, Friday. The what would it be? The 24th, I think. Yeah. Friday the 24th. Uh, of March, and I saw it on Wednesday, okay. which was the 29th. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, in its, in its first actual week yeah, yeah. of release. Um, At a time where, if you had chosen, you could have avoided all reviews. I, I did all review, avoid all real reviews, okay. um, but you got the general kind of consensus about yeah. how people felt about it. Terrible. Awful. Terrible. Unspeakably all, yeah, bad. Unspeakably bad. But, you know... <laughs> As with all films, I went into it with an open mind, yeah. um, wanting, oh no, and actually wanting to enjoy it, really. Yeah. Um, and it, well, 
So, a bit out of the plot, it picks up where Man of Steel, the last Superman film, um, left off. Well, in the last, the big epic battle at the end where they destroy Manhattan and Superman's fighting General Zod. Um, and Bruce Wayne is driving around Metropolis. Uh-huh. Um, and kind of all these skyscrapers are coming down around him. Um, and he's trying to get to Wayne Towers, his, his business, um, before it completely collapses. And it's all coming down. Um, and, you know, you can get from that... Like, he blames Superman for right. a lot of this. What Batman does. Batman does, yeah. Right. Sets you up, Batman versus Superman. But How were could... they... But were they... They're not actually in comics together, are they? And some of them. Oh, they are, right. Well, okay. I didn't realise there was a crossover. It, I know the, nothing about this kind of so thing. So it's the same universe. It's the same... So the, right. two, the two big comic-like universes and companies are Marvel... Which has dominated superhero movies, yeah, yeah. which is you know the Avengers, Spider Man, um, Iron Man, Captain America, the Hulk. Basically, any any superhero you've seen a film in in the last yeah, apart seen in a from film, Batman and Superman, uh-huh. who who are owned by DC. Right. Okay. Fine. Um, so they yeah they exist within the same universe and they they don't kind of have shared comics but they you know appear in each other's crossovers occasionally. Hmm. Um, so that's where we pick up from. And, you know, it's really about Batman having this incredibly suspicious nature and kind of, you know, blaming the fall of uh, Metropolis on Superman and being afraid of how powerful he is. Um, Meanwhile, Superman is being questioned about his kind of activities and how the world should react to Superman about this kind of great otherworldly being with unimaginable power. Uh, he seems to be acting unilaterally. Mm. They're having all these Senate hearings about what should we do about Superman. He's, you know, <laughs> is he generally doing good stuff or um, that's, that's really quite general. Is he generally doing good stuff? That's some top-notch reviewing. Real specific. Are his actions in the interest of America? Has he filed his tax accounts? Yeah, has he filed his tax accounts? Is he hiding his money in Panama? Yeah, exactly. Who knows? Modern twist. Um, so it, it's that's where it kind of picks up from. Um, and it's a quite dark tone. So we'll we'll stick on a clip where um, Batman, played by uh, ben, Affleck. ben Affleck and so Alfred. Of many. Yes, actually, quick quick thing about Ben Affleck playing Batman. Apparently, when Chris uh, Christian Bale first heard about it, Christian Bale, who played Batman in you know, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Apparently, when he heard about Ben Affleck playing Batman, he just stared into space for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a, probably an appropriate reaction. I, I mean, I like Ben Affleck. I don't mind Ben Affleck. He doesn't feel like a Batman kind of guy. He doesn't, no. And I, I read a really interesting article about him, which I'll talk about in a bit. Okay. But here's a clip with um, Ben Affleck and Jeremy Irons. You're going to go to war. That son of a bitch brought the war to us two years ago. Jesus, Alfred, count the dead. Thousands of people. What's next? Millions. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race, and if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. But he is not our enemy. Not today. 20 years in Gotham, Alfred. We've seen what promises are worth. How many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? 
Yeah, you can get it from that clip. There's a sense of foreboding, isn't there? Isn't there? Oh, um, so, you know, I'll, I'll start with the good points. I don't think it's as bad as everyone is making it out. It has been really, really slated. People are hating it. Yeah. And everyone, everyone's seen the sad Ben Affleck. Have you seen the sad Ben Affleck clip? Yeah. yeah every, In the interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen that, you've seen that. Well, he's um, like, yeah, what he that. said. Just pretend that's the case, yeah. Yeah, no, he's staring off into space and looking really, really sad. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's actually, you know, he's a, he's a decent Batman. He's not, he's not Christian Bale. And that's what the film, the struggles the film deals with, is that it is in the shadow of three of the defining superhero movies, yeah. um, you know, of all time. Yeah. The Christopher Nolan, Christian Bale. Mm trilogy and actually i think the batman begins is one of the most influential films of the modern era mm. in the way that it brought back this dead franchise the last film was bat nipples with george clooney <laughs> that's right yeah. and, and you know yeah. it made people take superhero films seriously again mm. um, now it, it, it was Zack snyder and ben affleck have undone all that good work. i mean it's probably Zack snyder's fault more than anyone because he's just an idiot that's, that's fairly strong. I okay. So my my feelings on Zack Snyder. Sucker punch. Oh, if he's given something, okay, three hundred is easily can he be okay? It's it's fun. It's a costume drama. It's a costume drama <laughs> without the drama yeah. and, and without the costumes. It's just, no, it's <laughs> it's yeah, all like they're all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's just a load of men running around in rubber tights. Which, or, well, 300. 300 yeah. men running around in rubber tights. Or, and, you know, long cloths, basically. Or, yeah, it's like Tarzan you know, goes it, to it Rome. It's ridiculous. But it's fun, you know. It's silly, mm. and it knows it's silly, I think, really. I mean, judging from that clip and the trailer, this is just a film that should have known that it was going to be a bit stupid. But it sounds like it's trying too hard. It, that, okay, is, that is so, a review I have... Uh, so, a, a criticism I've seen of it as well. Oh, really? It takes yeah. itself quite seriously. Like... Uh, Mark, the uh, John Green review I was talking to you about earlier. Uh, he, he just said it's a bad film that takes itself that, that takes itself way too seriously. It's very very self self serious was the right, adjective okay. he used to describe it. Yeah, it's self serious. Yeah. And the other thing mm. is, it tries to do too much. Um, I think like the there are things at its core that I get behind. You know, I think the ideas that it's getting behind the um, you can see where Batman's coming from about Superman, and you can see where Superman's coming from about Batman, about how two who are well, it's two superheroes, two kind of good men, mm. um, can despise each other and can want to take each other out, and it, it, it gets that across well, I think. But I think it tries to do too much as a stupid trailer that gives away like plot points that should be in the final third mm. um, that annoyed me. It's, you know, Lex Luthor, played by Jesse Eisenberg, is decent, and it turns, you know, Lex Luthor... So he's, he's the criminal? Yeah, yeah, right, he, okay. he's, he's the real villain he's behind the, villain. the whole thing. I mean, Jesse Eisenberg is the kind of guy you could imagine making, you know, a good villain. I quite, I think Jesse Eisenberg, as much as I've liked him in, in things like Adventureland, mm. or, I mean, I thought the great p- performance he gave in Social Network, it had, his character had a real edge to him, didn't he? Yeah, it had you an know, edge to him. And that, he was a genius, but he was also a bit of a prick. Yeah, that was more kind of detached prick, really. Um, Asperger's kind of. Yeah, yeah, more Asperger's. Is this um, a bit more pantomime? Yeah, it's a bit more pantomime. I don't know, it's decent. It's maybe in a different film that took itself less seriously. Uh, but the other thing is, you don't really see much motivation behind 
why he's doing what he's doing, just for power. And he's framed, um, as you know, Jesse Eisenberg's a young guy. As a young guy, kind of like a, was like, head of like a tech company, he has long hair. don't know if you guys know, Lex Luthor, you know, is, in all the comics, bald, completely bald. And you get a bit of that at the end. Mm. Uh, he has long hair, and the first time you see him, he's like playing basketball with his employees. Right. Um, so he's framed as like uh, a young guy who's had lots of money from his dad and is trying to be the cool guy running his company, but is actually um, a psychopath and a megalomaniac who is power hungry. Right. And he, he is, he's okay. Um, the other thing in it is it, there is, the way it's cut is there's stuff that's obviously been left out and that hasn't been filled in enough. Mm. There's a whole side Lex Luthor plot that he's doing that, that you know, comes to the fore at the end, but you kind of feel like, I feel like I should know more about this, but why he's doing this, about what's involved in, in this plot line. Mm. Um, but Joe, you don't understand, it's revealed in the comics why that's the case. Yes. Oh, glad you brought up the comics. Um, <laughs> this is where I step out of the room. <laughs> okay, so I saw an interview with Ben Affleck, and he was, or well, actually heard an interview with Ben Affleck, and he was saying that one of the reasons he took the job was uh, Zack Snyder was wanting to base his Batman character on one from a graphic novel called The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, which is, okay. you know, one well, of the greatest Sin, graphic... Sin City kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the greatest graphic novels of all time. Um, and that Batman is a guy in his 60s who's, you know, fairly cynical, fairly gnarled, um, and will do kind of what it takes to get to get the job done. And I think almost because he framed it in that way, and I love The Dark Knight Returns is, you know, one of the best, you know, probably top two along with Watchmen, funnily enough, another Zack Snyder film. Mm. Um, one of the top two graphic novels of all time. I know you guys, you guys don't really read comics graph, graphic novels. Mm. You don't need to put the really in there. You oh, guys you don't, don't read comics, okay. graphic novels. No, I've never, no. Don't yeah. um, but having read that, that, that also gave me perhaps a false idea of what to expect. It's not as bad as people say it is, and you have the idea that it's going to be really, really terrible. The other thing you have to remember is it's actually really hard to pull off these films that have so much expectation behind them, mm. um, and you're juggling a lot of different characters... Um, that are these huge kind of franchises, mm. and the Avengers makes it look easy. Joss Whedon made it look very easy with the Avengers and the sequel. I prefer the first one, the Avengers. I've never seen the Avengers. Have you seen the Avengers, Joe? We watched it together. Uh, so we did. Yeah, uh, I am. I'm heartbroken that you don't remember this. Uh, uh, that was such a romantic date we had together. But um, I'll learn to forgive in time. Yeah. So the Avengers was good or not? I thought it was good, but it doesn't make itself very it, like it. There are a lot of jokes on that, aren't there? There are there are quite a lot of jokes, but it's it's not an entirely buffoonish film. No, it's not an entirely buffoonish film, but it knows it's like it a, knows what it is. It's, it's self it's self self aware, but not to the point. So, I there, there is a line. I think there's a line you can cross with self awareness. Yeah. So, uh, which I think. Um, yeah. I felt Kingsman which we just found out the name of, uh, I felt it crossed that line. For me, it crossed that line between... It, uh, I, I understand why you would like it, but it, it just went a bit too far for me, uh, where it, it crossed the line from self-awareness to uh, almost... It, it, it just felt like it was going... Like, it, it, was, it was winking at the audience way too much. It, it was like waving furiously yeah, 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 at the they, audience. Exactly, exactly. Look at this, look at this point, oh, be clever. Yeah, yeah. Pr- pr- that, 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 is, that is what I... Like, um, no, the end... 
towards the end scene, uh, the, the girl he's been chasing uh, in, a, in, a, in a funny buffoonish way mm. says, uh, if, you, if you save the world, we can do it in the asshole. Like, it, 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 it just crossed cross the line in, in where I couldn't really suspend my, suspend my disbelief of disbelief. In, uh, if you, if you okay, yeah. What about Deadpool? Because you've seen that as well. I've not seen Deadpool. I quite like Deadpool. But that's very very self-referential. Oh, completely. Yeah, but I I like Deadpool. Yeah, I did. My my 40-year-old... My 40-year-old uncle... uh, That's generous. Said... um, Gareth? uh, Yes, Gareth. Who said people at at his work, people his age, were like... Could people who would you would never think would be into any kind of superhero film were absolutely raving about it, like saying it about was like, Deadpool. About Deadpool, is that what yeah? It's quite accessible, I guess. Uh, yeah, to is it not a superhero and, and, uh, fan uh, audience? Mm. And that's that's part of this whole thing because it's not it's a superhero movie that isn't mm. to play by superhero movie rules. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and from what I hear, that is a film that hits the sweet spot between. Uh, not not taking itself too seriously and just going over the edge, with, no. as you say, as you say, Joe, waving at the audience, going, yeah. ah, "Look how purple we're being." Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is, the film definitely doesn't take itself too seriously. <coughs> but that's okay. Batman and Superman. There we go. Okay, good. Not great, but not as bad as people are making it out to be. Is is my review um, about Ben Affleck? Sounds strange. I hope he gets back on track because he spent, you know, his his first part of his career it was kind of like lovable goofy you know mm. quite charming second part he was a punchline um, then he got back on track with his cause directing with Argo and Gone Baby Gone um, Gone Girl I thought he was good in it was almost like a spoof of his own movie well, if, you want a, if you want a kind of super well if you want a comic book film with Ben Affleck in it go and watch uh, Chasing Amy because oh, that's fantastic comic, he's they have comic on he's, he's a writing comic books at the beginning uh, anyway Coming up, we've got Get a Job, so stay tuned. Cheers. Hello, and welcome back. Uh, thanks for that, Joe. Batman vs Superman. That's absolutely fine, Samuel. Thanks, man. <laughs> right, okay, moving on um, to greener pastures. Well, kind of different pastures. We've got Get a Job, which is, I was saying to Joe just then, actually the first director back-to-back we've had, because we had, um, last show we had Roger Dodger as our hidden gem, which yeah. was directed by Dylan Kidd, who I think very few people will have heard of. He's not a very... I wouldn't blame them. Well, he's not a very prolific director. Yeah, not as in, in terms of quality, but he's not very prolific. Yeah, he's not very prolific, and you know, his, this is probably, in fact... I don't know. I think in terms of the people that are in it, probably his most commercial film. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I, w- I would say. Yeah. Um, so anyway, interesting thing about this movie is we're doing it as, as a new release, but it was actually made in 2012. And then for some reason, the distribution was delayed for a very long time. There was some argument over the dis- distribution rights. And it's kind of... So yeah, it basically hasn't been released until now. And I wanted to go and see it in the cinema in London, but... It was only showing in one theatre in New York. <laughs> so it's, it's, that's the only place it's been released. There's one theatre in New York and it's mm. been released uh, like on demand on, online. Mm. So you can catch it in on VOD and I imagine it would be coming to Netflix soon. Yeah. And this is the kind of film that is just Netflix. It's made written for, made all over for it. Netflix. It is yeah. a Netflix movie. Um, 
So interestingly enough, even though it's got such a small release, it's got some really major hitters in it in terms of um, actors. It's got Miles Teller in it, it's got Anna Kendrick and Brian Cranston. And I think part of the reason that part of the reason probably wasn't released immediately was that um, those actors back then, they were not huge stars like they are now. Miles Teller, he hadn't done Whiplash at that point. He hadn't even done Spectacular Now at that point. No. Anna Kendrick hadn't done Pitch Perfect. That was uh, September her, yeah, of, that her, was September of 2012. That's her star-making role. That she, was her, She'd yeah. done Up in the Air. She'd done Up in the Air, and she'd been in like a couple of Twilight films, but she hadn't had a, a lead role. Mm. Uh, Pitch Perfect was a hu- uh, you know, huge role for her. Um, so I think, in a way, the actors... Uh, careers after this have sort of um, retrospectively justified its release now. That's kind of my suspicion about it. Yeah. And probably the only reason it's had a theatrical release at all. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting animal. It follows um, sort of people in their 20-somethings, about five or six friends in their 20-somethings, <clears throat> Mars Teller and Anna Kendrick in a relationship. And it's just basically about, as the title would suggest, about people looking for work in a difficult job market. Yeah, so most of the characters are just out of university. Yeah, but I think they've been out for a couple of years. I mean, they've kind of been just bumming around. And, you know, kind of living the lifestyle. If you were going to make a comparison on screen, Seth Rogen in Knocked Up. Knocked Up. There might be a lot of that. Everyone those guys lived. Yeah. And I mean, if you remember the review of Knocked Up that we did, um, well, the... You, argue, found those the guys, argument. you found those guys despicable, didn't you? Samuel? No, I didn't. No, no, no. That's completely not true. I didn't. I said I don't have a problem with that lifestyle. I don't have a problem. I just didn't find that particularly funny. And yeah, you'll shoot me for saying this, but I did find it quite funny in Get a Job. I thought it was done quite sweetly, and I, I laughed a lot more in it than I did at Knocked Up. But anyway, let me let, let's do a clip, and then um, we'll talk talk a bit more about it. What's going on? Got a job. <laughs> That's great. I know it's at this place called Wilheimer. They do job placement. Oh yeah, I, I, I've heard good things. I just need one thing, and I'm good to go. You're smoking pot. I'm an occasional user. I never smoke and drive. If you want me to urinate into this bottle so that you can pass a drug test, God damn it. Dad, look, there's no one else I can ask. I'm hanging by a thread with Jillian. Plus, they might be able to screen for gender. Ethan is tainted, Luke is unclean, and Charlie is radioactive. What am I supposed to do? Get new friends. I have a job. I have a real job for a real company, the kind of job that you've been bugging me to get for years. And if I don't produce an immaculate cup of urine, it's it's back to the unemployment line. Is that what you want? No, it's not what I want. You know that. So there you go. That kind of gives an indication. And, I mean, there's, there's lots of those kind of stoner gags in it. I mean, there's... There's quite a little... Every scene I have in the house, there's a bong in shot or someone's using a bong. Well, there's that great bit when he, um, they sell... He, this is Miles Teller. He, he's just been fired from his first job and um, they bought like a massive TV when he got his first job and then well, they realised... Well, no, he bought a massive TV with the money with the his government dad, grant. Oh, with sorry. the money his dad gave him. Yeah, so he buys this massive TV with basically no income and then has to, he has to sell it because... He's lost his job, and then he gets a phone call saying he's got his job back, and he chases the van down the road to try and get the TV out. Hands his phone to his friend. Yeah, <laughs> who's like, um, who's like, what drug test? 
Is it multiple choice? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, just tell your friend he has a positive drug test. Like, drug test is a multiple choice. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah which I thought was quite a funny line. And, and, then his, and then his friend also, he gets a job as a chemistry teacher, and because um, he's got the munchies the whole time, he's just getting the kids to cook marshmallows on their Bunsen burners <laughs> and just eating them off it. Which, again, you know, I, I found that quite amusing. Um, it sort of plays, in terms of its linear progression, it kind of plays just like a lot of little... Um, just a lot of little clips thrown together. I mean, there's no pieces that are particularly long. You know, there's no piece that feels like it's over. The film's 82 minutes. The film is 82 minutes long, so yeah. it, it, it's really it's really tiny. But I think, this is what I like about it. I think when I watched Roger Dodger and Dylan Kidd wrote the script for that and he directed that, um, and you can just tell he has a really great ear for dialogue because that is just a film that is based almost entirely on... Uh, the central performance um, by Campbell Scott and his delivery of what is a fantastic script. Now, I much preferred Roger Dodger. Yeah, of course. I, you know, I, I absolutely love Roger Dodger, and mm. I, you know, I think that's a much better film than this. But I did, I do, th- I do still think that Dylan Kidd has a good ear for that kind of dialogue, and he has, he has a good ear for, um, for you know, for this kind of style of, of filmmaking where there's not really long set pieces and there's no. There's no long, you know, monologues um, from people, you know, about uh, the job industry. It's all quite short and snappy. But I, I thought it was quite tight, and it, you know, made me laugh quite a lot. I mean, as you said, it's 82 minutes long. These kind of films can often be too baggy and just go on and on, and at which point you lose patience with them. I mean, if it had been any longer, I think that would have been a big mistake. But I think 82 minutes feels like the right kind of length for this movie. Um, now, coming, I mean, at at the end of the film, there are some kind of because I think. The problem with it is, it's it, it's all it's it's like a it's like a situational comedy. It's like a sitcom, really, and it, it's a study of the job industry. But it can't really be bothered to go too in depth about that. I think it's a study of something else, but we'll go back to that. Okay, well, I, I I think it I think it kind of feels towards the end that it's it's they're like shit. We're supposed to be actually making a point here. So the yes, character, definitely. Do you know what I mean? So the characters then are like, oh well, you know, this is what I've learned from my experience in the job industry, and this is what I've learned. And to be honest, I didn't have a huge problem with that. I thought the conclusions that they drew from you know their experiences were were perfectly valid and made sense in the context of the story. I didn't particularly need that to happen in order to enjoy the film because I was just enjoying the gags. I didn't really. I I didn't think it had much point to it. Do you know mm. what I mean? So it didn't need to have much of a conclusion to it. Um, but yeah, I yeah I I I, I quite enjoyed it, and it's it's very very light. I mean, you sit down it and watch very it. Very light. Yeah, yeah, very light. I mean, it's like an arrow. It's it's, yeah, <laughs> it's like a mint arrow. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, you saw it as well. So yeah, what, what? no, I, I saw it as well. I um. I thought it was like a nice father and son relationship between Miles Teller and Brian Cranston. Yeah. I'll watch Brian Cranston in absolutely anything. He's great. He's great. You know what I was thinking of when I was watching him? I always forget that he's he's in Drive as well, and he's so good in Drive. He's Drive. He wanted me this more of Malcolm in the Middle. Right, okay. See, I haven't seen Malcolm in the Middle. Ah. Uh, you see, you've got Malcolm in the Middle. Of course I've watched Malcolm yeah. in the Middle. Yeah. It was on before The Simpsons. What else was I going to do? Exactly. <laughs> Literally why I watched it. Um, and... I think it's an interesting topic, and I, you know, so you said that you thought they're trying to make a comment. Maybe if they're going to make a comment about the job industry, yeah, I think it's more about millennials, mm. people kind of our age up to about thirty, mm. thirty-five, mm. Um, and you know, the the first bit is Miles telling narrating. He's saying, "What oh, my, my first memory was? My first memory was me doing a, a poo in the toilet and getting a, a round of applause." Like our generation has had, yeah. 
congratulated for doing absolutely anything at all. And then there's that speech by the guy at the end who says his problem was he was given trophies for doing absolutely nothing, and that's why he's such a slacker now. So those two points link up. My issue is that it, it has this real potential to be making a point about millennials and... Um, actually, it's a it's a thing that has picked up. I think they've stopped doing it now. But the Guardian were running a whole series about millennials, right? Um, and you know, some people say that they're lazy and that their expectations are too high. Um, and you know, they've been congratulated for it, for everything, and that's why they expect the world. Um, people say actually they're in they're in a world where job market is much harder, the cost of living is much higher, mm. um, and, you know, the, uh, and because of that, and because of, the, you know, jobs are much more transient, and housing is much more transient. Um, I thought they had a real opportunity to make a really interesting point about all of this, mm. and its central thesis, I thought, was really confused. It was, you know, trying to say that we uh, were given too much and we expect too much, but actually you don't really get that too much from the characters. I mm. didn't think. And the characters, I th- I didn't really think many of the, his housemates were that likeable. you got Christopher Mintz, please, who's trying to make an I stalk you app. <laughs> that's, that quite, that's quite funny. I like that. So just explain the idea of the app quickly. Okay, so the idea of the app, so Christopher Mintz, please, who played McLovin in Superbad. I don't um, even like Superbad, but I, I found, that, I found yeah. this really funny. I thought so he was funny in that. That's why I struggle to understand, Samuel. Why? Ooh. But this is funny. It's funny. <laughs> this is why it's funny. He makes an app where you can text someone, and it, when the message like hits their phone, it sends a signal back to your phone telling you where they are. Exact, their exact location. Yeah, their exact location. So it's called I Stalk You. I Stalk You. And this whole time he's trying to get Warren Buffett to, <laughs> to invest in, in his ideas. So this, like, this is American uh, absurdist teenage humour at its pinnacle, I feel. At pinnacle, but you know, there's, there's, in the So he's like 20s. texting Warren Buffett like when he's on the toilet and stuff. Yeah, yeah or this chemistry teacher who... Um, is high all the time and getting his kids to make his munchies yeah. and is a, and throwing turns of the basketball coach. Then with the basketball coach thing, it's like he it's completely forgotten he's even a chemistry teacher and that's his main job. It I find it that's why the the film's confused. Um, you know I I, I liked, as I'm, always I quite liked Miles Teller. I love Miles Teller again. Miles Teller I watch Miles Teller and anything. Mm. Anna Kendrick I love Anna Kendrick. I watch. Her I didn't think so, she was in it that much. I was expecting her to be in it more than. The well, Mar- I mean, Mars Teller's in it more than anyone Mar- else. Is, if there is a central character, then then he is. Although yeah. this is not a film that deals particularly in central characters. <laughs> the central character. I mean, there's All so many. There's really. a smorgasbord of other actors in it who we haven't mentioned. But um, I do think it, it's somewhat carried and charming. I think if you put, if you take away Mars Teller and Anna Kendrick, and you put two other you know actors in there, then the film loses a lot of its value. Yeah. A lot of its value is in in the actors. Yeah. But, you know, Miles Teller, he's just one of those guys that just relaxes into a role. He really, really well. does, doesn't he, Sam? <laughs> yeah, he just relaxes into a role really well. And, you know, you can see that here. We saw it in Spectacular now before. And he does a lot with, you know, not not really a lot, really, you mm. know. Um, and the same with Anna Kendrick. So, yeah, I, I really, I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed it. I, I sat down, watched it. I had a couple of beers on Saturday night and I watched it. And, you know, I laughed throughout and I went to bed and the next morning I didn't think about it at all you know because it's not that kind of yeah. film yeah, but sometimes you, you need those it. movies sometimes you do I didn't think I did um, <laughs> <laughs> you just watched it at a different time I'm yeah. oh, not okay I watched it at a different time but also um, I think the trailer all the funniest gags in the trailer which always annoys me 
Um, and I thought Anna Kendrick would be in, in it more from the trailer. <laughs> so you were disappointed by the lack of Anna in the film. By the lack of Anna Kendrick and by the fact that all the best gags were in the trailer. There were lots of good gags that weren't in the trailer. But it is a very, it's a very gag-laden film. Just some of the... Yeah. Some of them land better than others. All right. Well, anyway, we don't want to do Marmite movies before Marmite no, movies. No. So let's... So that was Get a Job. That was Get a Job. Yeah. Um, Dylan Kidd, come on the show. There were lots of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dylan, look forward to seeing you on the show. We've been trying to contact Dylan Kidd. I've been ringing agencies in, um, in LA, and they've been... I'm like, oh, hi there, I'm calling from England. Like, oh, hello, sir. <laughs> let me let me see if he's available now. And then, like, they're, like, never available. Obviously, cause it's, Obviously. it's Dylan Kidd. He doesn't want to speak to me. No. Especially not after you've just maybe, slagged off his movie. Maybe you're just always catching him at a bad time. Just keep going. No, I don't think so. Keep running that phone bill, Samuel. I was ringing, like, every... Ho- no, I'm doing it from work. So oh, that's nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Shh. Yeah, exactly. Right, now sacked. I'll be needing to get a job now. Uh, oh, fuck. Right, moving on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> going on to Marmite Mar- Mar- movies. This has been an absolute disaster. Um, yeah, stay tuned if you can bear it. Bye-bye. Well, we've come to the point in the show... Gonna have a nice dollop of Marmite. One of us is gonna love it, and one of us is gonna hate it. It's Marmite movies. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Right, so um, we're doing Twilight Eclipse, and yeah, as we said before, like you know, what what do people think? Do they think I'm gonna like it, and Joe's gonna dislike it, or Joe has been? I think over the course of the show, you've been the more understanding critic. Yeah. Yeah. I think unusually less sh- less so this show actually. Yeah, you've been a bit harsh on this so, uh, show, but I think um, so. Yeah, I think people on the balance would expect you possibly to go in favour of this and me to go against it. Yeah. But I'm actually going to be defending Eclipse this this time um, because I actually really enjoyed it, and yeah, it's I think it's the best in the franchise. And um, I can't else. really believe I'm doing this, to be honest, because I, I the do... The tallest be- dwarf of the franchise, you could say. I, I do believe it's a sort of societal suicide to defend Twilight Eclipse and then put it out on the internet. But um, there we go. Well, Fuck like, it. You know, their loss. That here, is here society's loss, if they, do, if they decide to ditch you for that. This that, is a measure of your love for the film, that you're willing to do this. Okay, fine. Let's not. Should we not dwell on what let's, uh, let's Samuel not dwell thinks on, on my yeah <laughs> impending social suicide? And but, so just get right well I have seen a portion of the film. Uh, and why? Why didn't you see the portion of the film, Joe? Uh, because I fell asleep in the cinema. Interesting. And, uh, Very interesting. In, mm. in in the film's defence, I had just got off uh, a twelve-hour coach ride from Penzance. Uh, but um, okay, Joe, we're digressing now. Yeah, we do digress. Although I'd be perfectly happy to talk about your trip to Penzance the next 15 minutes rather than Twilight. But anyway, let's... Okay, Joe, I mean, uh, Joe Stevens, you you know, you bring it in. Okay, so... Um, Do you want to give should, a little... Should we talk about a bit about the plot? Yeah, let's talk a bit about the plot. A let's give it some plot. context. So I'm sure everyone knows, starring Christian Stewart... Uh, Rob Pattinson. Rob Pattinson and Taylor Lautner. Yeah, a three-piece, you could say. A three-hander. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, three fairly big hitters now, but um, before... Christian Stewart, you know, especially, well, actually all of them, but Christian Stewart had been in... Panic she, Room. Yeah, she'd been in Panic Room, she'd been in Into the Wild, she'd been in... 
you know, she'd been in kind of supporting roles, but this was really her first massive role, and it was a massive role. I mean, no matter what you think about no, the films... you can't deny the size of them. The she, books were just huge. I mean, it was like the next Harry Potter. I remember people say that a lot, like, these books have come out, the films are in production now, this is going to be like the next Harry Potter. Exactly. And, and all it, these girls saying, like, oh, I love Twilight. I'm like, oh, okay, fine, I'm yeah. expecting it to be and me. pretty huge. <laughs> and Samuel's one of them. Guys, you just don't, you don't understand. <laughs> right, no, no, I wasn't, to be honest, I came to the party quite late. But um, yeah, it was just such a big role and it made them all into massive um, teen stars. You know, Taylor Lautner yeah. had been in almost nothing. He'd been yeah. in like Shark Boy. Yeah. And he's been in all those films since. You know, all those big blockbuster yeah. dramatic roles since. Yeah, I haven't seen him in much since. To be no, honest. no, 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 no. No. Robert Pattinson has had, Robert Pattinson he's had a decent while. career. He's, and he's, I think you know, he's he, quite a good actor. He's, he's tried to distance himself from... Well, so, yeah, I think Christian Stewart has as well. Yeah. I mean, she did uh, Clouds of Seals Marita, which was a really bizarre film with Juliette Binoche. And then she's done Still Alice. Just that, that sentence. What? Clouds of Steel Maria with Juliette Binoche. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was that a bizarre film? Really? <laughs> yeah. No, she's very good in Still Alice, actually. I'll give her that. I like Kristen Stewart as an actor. I really like her. I mean, I've liked her in almost everything I've seen her in. I loved her in Adventureland. I, I like her in The Twilight. I really like her in The Twilight Saga. Um, I liked her in uh, Panic Room. I liked her in um, Into the Wild. Mm. You know, she just seems to... I think she is very similar as a person to the people she plays on screen. I mean, she's just a very... She just plays, like, especially in this, she just plays sort of that awkward teenager... Pathetic. Yeah, bordering on almost emo quite quite well. Bordering? Yeah, I think bordering. New Moon. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, New Moon, she's... Which we decided against... She whinges a bit in New Moon. Yeah, because I don't particularly like New Moon, so... She sits in a chair whilst the world goes by. That's only, like, a two-minute sequence. Yeah. Well, I really like Christian Stewart anyway, and I, I know that you like her as well. You just maybe don't like her in this. I really like her in Still Atlas. I find her really frustrating in this. Hmm. Um, so, should we, should we play a clip? We, we're going to talk about the plot. Aren't we? Well, the plot is the plot is she 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 is um, a girl who's in love with um, this vampire in the local town that she's in, which is a rainy town in North America, Oregon, and Washingtonish. In Washington? Yeah, okay. Washington. Wow. (laughs) Nichols actually knows the name of the town. I know. I I, I don't know how... Mate, you must have fallen asleep. (laughs) You must have kept one eye open. I think think the the, the part of the the film that made the biggest impression of me was, uh, huh, this town is called Forks. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, there we go. Well, that's... At least you were paying attention. Mm. Shows that it gripped you somewhat. Um... So, so yeah, she, she's in this small town and she meets this mysterious guy called Edward. Over the course of the first two films, she finds out that he's a vampire. And at the same time, there's a guy from a local tribe called Jacob, played by, um, uh, by Taylor, Taylor Lautner, yeah. who, is, um, who is a werewolf. And he's kind of in love with Bella as well. So very much in this film, the centre of the plot is this love triangle between the three of them. So this is a clip between Bella and Jacob talking about um, talking about their relationship and whether how soon Bella's going to be turned into a vampire by Edward and Taylor Lorna doesn't want it to happen. Yeah. Because he's in love with her. Yeah. And if she becomes a vampire, he can't then Because werewolves and vampires aren't friends. Because werewolves and vampires don't like each other. So that's the context. Here's a clip. So for now you're still you. 
you're still you. Yeah. Until graduation. Graduation? You knew this was gonna happen. Not in a month. I mean, not before you've... You've even lived. Or before I could... For a second. Just a second, I thought. But he's got his hooks in you so deep. I decided this, not him. Bella, they're not even alive. It makes me sick. Better you really be dead than one of them. So, there we go. So that kind of gives you an indication of where the plot's going. And, and the film is very much centred around this, this love triangle that exists between the three of them. Yeah. And that is the driving, sort of, certainly the emotional focus of the film, if not... The whole saga, really. Well, no, I don't think that's accurate, because, it, because she, at the end of this film, she kind of makes a decision towards one way, and then it's very much that way for the next two movies. And I will say now, this is, in terms of, I have seen all of them, and this is the best of the five. Uh, New Moon, as we touched on, was quite, um, it dragged. Shit. It, it, well, I don't think it was shit, but I, th I felt like it dragged quite a lot, um, especially towards the middle section, couldn't really decide what it wanted to do. But um, I thought David Slade coming on board as director, he actually directed a vampire movie before this, which was 30 Days of Night, which is a proper, full-on vampire film. Mm. And he directed Hard Candy, which is quite a dark um, film. So I, I think he, you know, in terms of his back catalogue, there was good preparation for directing, you know, a sort of gothic, romance, vampire-based film, even if this is lighter than his previous stuff. Um, but, I mean, you know, you tell me what you didn't like about it, then. Okay. Um, so, basically, the three central characters. So, uh, Edward is about 100 years old, in reality. He looks, you know, like a 19-year-old. Yeah, um, because he's frozen in time. Because he's frozen in time. He got, like, Spanish flu and was turned into a vampire to save his life. Yeah. Um, Spanish flu, just after the First World War. You can see how old he is. So, mm -hmm. he, he's this, like, 100-year-old who is... There, there are kind of things throughout the film that he says that are like abusive relationship red flags with right. Bella. So he's this essentially much older guy who mm. is um, trying to convince this young girl who's you know 17, 18, hasn't even finished secondary school yet, just give up her life completely to join him. Um, but no, he's not though. He's not trying to convince her to do that. No, but he is. But okay, but he's but... saying to her, he he doesn't want her to do that. That's why he says to her, "You have to marry me if I'm going to agree to make but you a mortal." Knows, but he knows that she wants to do that. He does everything he can to put her off the idea, and even entertains Jacob, um, you know, winning her over because he says to Jacob, he says, "I'm not going to stop you if." You know, if she chooses you, then I'll let her go. He says, if she chooses you, I'll let her go. And the central point of the film is Bella's decision over what kind of life she wants to have. It's not, people have said it's a choice between which guy she fancies more. That's not the case. She has Jacob on one hand who can offer her a human life and can offer her 
you know, things that Edward can't offer her because he's a vampire, you know, and in order to be with him, she has to make the ultimate sacrifice. For, okay, from what I saw of it, is that Bella is, like, really, really wants to become a, a vampire, vampire in order to be, and with, to be with him. And he's saying, well, oh, well, I guess I could do that if you marry me. That, that, that's how I saw it. And there are things throughout the film where he, like, doesn't want her to spend time with anyone else, with Jacob. Because he doesn't trust the werewolves. Yeah, no, but he's... He's very possessive of her. Not even in terms of that, like with you know, with uh, her really in terms of seeing other people. Um, Jacob can't accept that she doesn't love him, mm. and you know throws hissy fits. And you know there have been two films about how much he's in love with her. Um, he can't accept that. And Bella is like playing him the entire time. He can't give him a bloody straight answer, and it's just awful. Mm. You know, she just needs to be straight with them. Do you know the, the character I sympathise most with? Her dad. Who is just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Charlie. Like. Yeah. Who feels like he's in kindergarten or something. Yeah, who's just like, I have this daughter who's obsessed with this boyfriend who just mopes around the entire time. And this is a really weird family. I mean, I didn't... And, okay, and the other, can I make what, one more point? Yeah, one more point for... Is that the whole, episode. like, werewolf Native American thing, I think is, like, cultural appropriation bordering on very... Mm, stereotypes that like we've been here for years and, what, and we're descended, and from, all, descended from animals and are one with nature mm. okay I'll that might be quite a simplistic um, stereotype and yeah I haven't to be honest I haven't really looked at, the, at that side of it but um, I will say that I think the central plot uh, you know the central emotional focus of the film which is what we've, we've talked about is Bella it's Bella's making a decision about you know what kind of life and what kind of person she is, and the guys—they're it, it, just—it's just a metaphor. You know, they represent one side and the other side. And she says at the end, she says, "I've never really felt like I fit in." You know, and she's clumsy, and she she goes to school, and you know, she has friends, but she doesn't feel cool. A bit like Christian Stewart herself. You know, she just doesn't come across as the kind of person who she's not really in the real world. You know, and what? she says, "What." No, so I was doing Christian Stewart face. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing a Christian Stewart face yeah. on the radio. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so um, Taylor Lautner's character, who can, you know, provide for her the normal things that, you know, everyone would want a guy to provide, which is, you know, like comfort and warmth. You know, there's that scene where... And he's ripped and a werewolf. And he's ripped, but, you know, that's just part of the... He's just been working out. You know, it's not awful. He's a werewolf. He's obviously going to be big. Um... So anyway, so you've got that. Him, he can provide that for her, and you know some girls would want that. But then Edward can provide. You know she's in love with Edward, so she has to make the sacrifice to be with him. And the decision is: does she want the normal life, or does she want Edward? And you know to give away what happens at the end. You know she obviously decides to go with Edward, and because it's a rejection of no, actually I don't want what um, you know what everyone else wants. I want I want something else, something different, because I've never felt like I fit in, so I feel like I fit in here. So the oversimplification that so many people have made is that, oh, it's just, you know, one boy versus another boy and a central character who's, you know, incredibly reactive, and it's not accurate at all. The whole film is centred around her decision. It's very empowering. Okay, so I wouldn't say she's reactive, and I don't think she's choosing one boy over the other. Um... I think she is manipulative rather than She's reactive. indecisive. That's a completely different she, thing. She's indecisive, but, like, no, she is, and she's, like, playing them. Both of, both of them, really. And I don't like... Okay, I feel more sympathy with Jacob than Edward. I can't get behind Edward. So, wait a minute. He so wait, really annoys me. You're Team Jacob. I'm Team Jacob. <laughs> Did we just get that? 
We got that. We jo- got that. Joe Stevens it has come out as Team Jacob. Uh-huh. And, uh, from that clip... <laughs> it's I, fine, because I'm Team Jacob as well. Yeah, I, I got from that clip when he was saying, before you've even lived. Yeah. Like, she's 17 years old, and she's like, I want to change my life forever, irrevocably. Um, yeah, because because she's conscious of the fact that Edwards is also 17, and she doesn't want a big you know age gap, and she wants... You know, she's in love with him now, and she doesn't almost she doesn't want to entertain the possibility that she might change her mind because that's how certain she is. And that is also, you know, another you see that you know about young love all the time. You know, they oh, know yeah. best over the parents. You know, yeah. how many times have you seen those films where the parents are like, oh, you shouldn't be seeing this guy, or you shouldn't be seeing this girl, and actually, you know, they're in you love don't know and they like be... I do, exactly, Samuel. exactly, exactly, which is why it plays very well. It's all but is that yeah. portrayed as? Uh... Uh, uh, as someone who hasn't properly seen the film, is that is that choice portrayed as a good thing or not? Is that is that um, is it portrayed as all oh, these are the is it portrayed as a warning or is it portrayed as just no. something that so this hundred year old guy hitting on a teenage yeah, girl and is, put, and is, and and is asking him to marry her so she can fulfil her one wish? Well, of course he wants to marry her because he's a hundred years old. It's a symptom of the time that he was born in. I mean, that just makes you know that's all you need to say about that. That's just an obvious part of the plot. He's he's old fashioned because he's that old, but you know he's, so, which is why he has to marry her because that's the way he does things. Also, it gives her a chance to change her mind, and he always says, "I'm still hoping that she will do that because he knows what the life is for him." And there's even bits where some of the other vampires say, "Oh, you know, I really would advise you against this life because you know you'll be you'll be destroying your soul, you know, yeah, and you'll be okay. trapped forever." And what I will say is, I quite like the flashback bits with the vampires about their previous lives. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed that, actually. Did no. you enjoy... But I thought it was a good... I thought it was a good, like, action film as well. I thought it did a really good job of keeping that central emotional triangle at the forefront of the film, while also going through the motions of, you know, a fairly linear plot involving other vampires that are coming to, you know, kill Bella for reasons explained in the previous films yeah you know and the, the finale is I found you know fairly exciting um, I, I wasn't invested in the characters enough to find it mm. you know gripping enough to be like oh what if Bella dies I think you just thought it was a lot of smouldering people standing around looking kind of intense that along with the fact that I I looking intense but like not even apathetic, but actively dislikable characters, certainly from Edward and Bella. Why did you find Bella dislikable? Because I thought she should just, like, she should stop entertaining. But she's time, not entertaining it. She says to Jake, she punches him in the face. She just to punch him in the face. And then she says, like, you know, there's no way I'm changing my mind. The reason that she kisses him at the end is because he's about to go off and almost get himself killed, as he admits to her, and obviously she does it to delay that and to try and put a stop to that. But if you were Jacob, you kind of think... Okay, I, I find her very frustrating as a character. I feel sorry for Jacob, but, you know, he needs to face facts. And Edward is a bloody creep. <laughs> You're and just portraying Edward like some kind of perv. Literally, I mean... It's not as bad as New Moon. I think the first one was better. Okay, I think I think this is the best in the franchise because I think it has the emotional... I think it has more of an emotional impact than the first <laughs> one. I do really like the first one, but it's a very different film. Joe, from the half of the film you saw... From the half of the film I saw... Well, it clearly didn't... Uh, 
keep me invested enough in the characters to stay to, to stay, stay literally to stay awake. I uh, and, and like but I, th- I think I went in. I, I went in with a coloured perception uh, because as a, as, as, as a teen as a teenage boy, I knew it was not aimed one not aimed at me, and two I was very biased against it because I it, it was cool. It was very cool to hate at the time. That's and, one uh, of the central problems of yeah. it. It's, uh, you know, people are not going to admit that they like it, even if they do like it. I'm not saying, you know, I fully believe that you didn't enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah. very fashionable not That's to like it. And I truly believe that when you look... Look, I'm not saying the performances are amazing, but I'm saying in the context of the film, I think Jake is quite... I think um, he's quite convincing. I mean, he's not a 3D character. He's not a very no. complex character. He's in love with a girl, and, you know, he's... You know, so what? He's got a six pack. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, in the book, like he's got a shirt off half the time anyway because he's a werewolf. I did like the, the the there's a gag in the film where it was like, does he ever wear a shirt? Yeah, like, does he is. ever wear a shirt? Yeah. yeah. And you know, so you know, I thought. I don't, yeah, I don't think we can. Uh, one of the central criticisms of the, of the Twilight series is yes, it's a bit creepy that a hundred year old is going after a seven year seventeen year old. Not seven-year-old. Seven-year-old. Um, that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you need to do that. That makes it wrong to a whole other <laughs> level. I'm not going to defend that, baby. Slightly creepy, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. This one, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> we take this one, my This one, yeah. I loved it. Samuel joins Nambler. But... I remember... What were you talking about, Joe? I was talking about the acting. Right, OK. The... And in the clip, we did see... There... I don't know what what the, uh, the context. I don't fully understand the context, but and I don't. But I don't know what it is that gives me this impression. I just it it just screams to me. These are actors on a screen saying lies in costumes. Mm. These are either I I cannot suspend my. I get that. Around them. A bit around especially the the pauses. That I can't. The over pregnant pauses, really. Yeah, over pregnant pregnant pauses, overuse of pregnant pauses become like. Mm. And, uh, and. Yeah, they might use the facial The facial facial expressions and everything. I I just can't get behind that these are real people I'm seeing. The question is, do you at sigh? I think Taylor Taylor Lautner is more guilty of that than Kristen Stewart. I believe in Kristen Stewart's character a lot. It would be ignoring the. The elephant, the elephant in the room of the, uh, uh, any criticism of Twilight is the acting, mm. and that is, uh, uh, yeah. And I think it, it'd just be some as someone who's as two people who've seen the film through its entirety, mm. it'd be interesting to hear someone. Uh, and, and, and it's very easy to attack the and because it's been done so thoroughly. Yeah. But uh, I'd be interested to see you defend it, Sam, if you have a defense of it. I don't know. Of what? Of the, the, acting. Of the acting in the film. I did defend the yeah, acting. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, well, okay. Specific, specific, right. specific, the, the specifics, like, aren't my... Well, I think, well, I, well as I said, as I, I, think, I might not have said it, so I think Taylor Lautner, I think he does look like an actor who's playing a role more than Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson. I'd give you that. But as I said... I don't think Taylor Lautner's character is supposed to be particularly three-dimensional. He's not the conflicted character. His intentions are extremely um, They're direct. They're yeah. very open. He makes them very open. Yeah. You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to think that 
he's not he's not saying one thing and thinking something else. You know, he's saying and doing exactly what he thinks. And obviously, Edward he he plays the child in it, Taylor Lautner, really. Yeah, you know, Jacob does, is the child yeah. character, and yeah. Edward's you know, as we said, a hundred years old, trapped in a younger body, which is why he comes across as more mature and why he comes across as maybe willing to let Bella go if that's the decision she makes because you know he's older he can deal with that kind of thing whereas Taylor Lautner is only 17 and all he cares about is this girl that he's in love with um, so, that's, so, so you're, say, you're saying that uh, the, the acting is a, an artistic basically it's an, an, an artistic I'm saying it serves the purpose so, yeah, serves for purpose. the roles that they're given mm-hmm. and I think so, Christian Stewart so from, he looks conflicted like throughout the film in my opinion I think mm-hmm. Christian Stewart is the kind of actress, I mean, even when I've seen her speak in interviews, she comes across that way anyway, but I just think it's good, really good casting. Yeah, I think her conflicted face can be constant and quite frustrating in the way that it's like, it's mono-expression. She's the kind of girl who, it's like biting lip, creased forehead, like the whole time. She just looks like, no, like, yeah. not actually, but you, like those kind of mannerisms, yeah. you know what I mean? She exactly, looks conflicted. Ex- exactly those mannerisms. But it, if that's... And you're talking about, okay, Isn't well, maybe... supposed to change themselves for a role? <laughs> Isn't that their job? Well, like, some, well, some... I think with some actors and actresses, but I think some are much more natural than others. True. We've talked about t- Mars Teller as one of those. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I think one of our central disagreements about the film is about Edward, really. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I, I, I prefer Jacob as a character mm. to Edward. Yeah. And I think Edward acts much more... His relationship with Bella is quite boring, it, no, it, I, and that's I why it tapers off towards I, I, the second I, half. And I, but I of also the, think the franchise. I think you overestimate how adult and mature he's being in the way that he is similarly obsessed with her when he is obsessed with her, yet willing to let her go. You really need to watch it again. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> you need to watch it again because you have not. I you can't have make not promises. You, you've you've painted a picture that is not what you should be getting from the film because I promise you if you go back through the dialogue I could take you through the script and highlight the lines for you I know exactly where those sections are where he says on numerous occasions he's trying to give her the opportunity to change her mind and he's delaying and he's stalling and you know he's a vampire at the end of the day mate if he wanted to he could just go and bite her right now couldn't he? He could do but he's more manipulative than that but you know we, this, this could go on forever We've talked about this now for 25 minutes we have. God, that's a long time. <laughs> that's like half the show. Yeah. So we're going to wrap and we're going to come back for, you know, for the one or two people that made it to the end of this bit. <laughs> and we've got the gift coming up for the last section. And, you know, please let us know what you feel about Twilight and if yeah. you agree or disagree with either of us. Thank you. Cheers. Hello and welcome back. I hope you made it through the last section. It got quite heated. Things were said. It got, that, that won't be refracted. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not sorry. Neither am I. <laughs> there we go. Sorry, Christian. Um, right, okay. So, Nichols, um, we have a film now called The Gift from 2015, which Joe Nichols has brought in for us. It's on Netflix, and uh, Joe Stevens and I watched it for the purpose of the podcast. And... Nichols, over to you, mate. 
Right, so uh, before I begin, I want to make a bit of a disclaimer. I am about as much of an outsider to the film world as it is possible to be. It's a little bit like, Samuel, if you were invited on a football podcast and told to watch one game and analyse it. I'm not uh, going to deny that. <laughs> I, and uh, there may be, th- like, I, basically it, it, what I'm planning on saying is film... So the a good definition of art mm. is... Uh, something that is designed to create an emotional response uh-huh. in, a, in someone, right? Uh-huh. And, if, and, if, and a piece of art succeeds if it, if it does create that emotional response and fails if it doesn't in uh-huh. certain people. And I'm probably going to say a few things that are just b- absolutely basic in this world. So a few obvious statements. So there's that out of the way. There's uh, me covering my own ass there. Okay. Everyone's uh, a critic. Though. Everyone is. Yeah, yeah that's, right. <laughs> that, that's true. Almost everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Some uh, are better than others. That's why we have Marmite babies. <laughs> my track's covered. <laughs> on we go with, uh, with my route. And, uh, Plow on. Uh, on we go. I, But... If, you go, if we're going by that definition, this film definitely succeeded with me. Uh-huh. And I'm just going. And I want to. It provoked it, 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 it many emotional, emotional response. The uh, designed emotional response. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, uh, and it. And I, I. What I wanted to do is just kind of dissect it and ha- in how it managed to do that. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so do you want to give a bit? Do of you want to give a bit so of context first? Jim? The the context is, guy. Uh, <laughs> oh, Should we talk about who's in it first? Okay, yeah, go for it. Uh, this is a world. Uh, this is your world. Okay, right. so directed by Joel Egerton. Yes. Who actually co-stars in it? Yeah. Um, and Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall play a mm. youngish couple in their thirties. Yeah, one of those one of those couples who are you know they're just they're very successful. Everything seems to be going well for them. You know, they have a nice house. They yeah. you know they're they're new to the area. Um, Really interesting performance by Jason Bateman, who you know you might have seen in Horrible Bosses Two or Couples Retreat, and or Arrested Development. I think he's probably most famous for. But I mean, I haven't seen that show, but that's a comedy, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So here, it's a it's just a completely contrasting performance in that sense. I mean, there's nothing comedic about his role at all, really. None whatsoever. And that becomes more apparent. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah. If anyone laughing at this film is sick. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously ill. So, anyway, yeah. So, that's that's the kind of context context. director and actor-wise. So, I'll go through a bit of the plot. Basically, a couple meet a creepy guy that the... uh, that that the husband used to know from school and creepy guy that starts doing creepy stuff and ends in a denouement with ultimate creep essentially. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the first thing I have written down about how it uh, <laughs> is just go He's through. Not the, reading um, from notes. Uh, well, uh, yeah, no. It's I I, I have I have notes about it because I, I, I just so I can recall exactly how what well, how I felt in so I watched it. Good context on what I'm, uh, how I reviewed it. Mm. I viewed it the first time in the cinema with uh, with my parents, who and we spent the entire journey back talking about the film and whether or not he did it. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, which you'll understand if you do the film. The film yeah. At the end. And uh, and basically, oh, did and normally we we leave the film for oh that was good. 
but maybe so. So it made you think about it afterwards. Maybe, maybe it made you think about it afterwards, and and and, and so this, and, and I and I knew when Joe asked me to to be on be on the show. I, I I chose it because I knew this was a film that had affected me a lot, and so mm. the second time I just went through it thinking. How did it manage to affect me that that much? Mm. Essentially, what what did it do? And one of the first things I noticed is the music, the use of music. Mm. So in the or lack thereof. Le- well, uh, lack, lack thereof in the most. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I think that's important. Okay, it was okay. It, it, obviously, it didn't overuse the music, but, no. the, but when it did, is uh, is it's just completely. Out- at times, it, it wants to obviously sell itself as a creepy film. It's mm. a psychological thriller. It wants mm. to create tension, and it is. There are scenes in which, like the opening scene, one of the opening scenes, I think, there the couple are looking around a house. Simon and Robin are just looking around a house with an estate agent, going, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I really like the glass. It's really postmodern. This is really cool." And, uh, and then later on, and then a bit, a couple of seconds later. Robin is putting out the bins after they moved in, mm. and that is just completely mundane. Mm. But completely mundane, pretty normal uh, conversation. But you were you were free, you were freaked was, out. I, I was, I was, I was, was like, oh, I was yeah. watching Rebecca Hall do yeah. the waste duties. Terrified. That reminds me a bit of like Funny Games. Have you ever seen Funny Games? I haven't. I had good. By Michael Haneck. Yeah. yeah, that's literally a film where for the first thirty minutes, all the I mean, this woman is like making a cake and she like breaks an egg, and you're like, oh. Fuck! <laughs> You're like this is gonna go really horribly yeah. wrong. So, so yeah, but it's it, yeah, yeah, that is that. Shall we have a shall we have shall we have a clip though? So we uh, so I think uh, we, so the just to give a bit of context for the mm-hmm. clip, they meet this guy Gordo. Yeah, uh, who is clearly very creepy. He's clearly a bit so, very socially awkward, and comes off as creepy. He starts giving them. Uh, and uh, they know they know him from high school, and he starts giving them gifts unsolicited, uh, and showing up at their house. Sh- showing up at their house uninvited, and then he invites them to dinner at his house, which turns out, to, which contrary to every, anything you're expecting of him, is this beautiful mansion in a wonderful neighbourhood with a. It's just yeah. completely out of his character. Yeah, and uh, they, they are. So here they are. And in here they are in the mansion, getting ready for dinner. I'm really sorry. Um, that's an urgent work thing. I'm gonna have to step out for a couple of minutes, but it's not gonna take me long. I'm gonna literally be less than five minutes, less than that. Can you just just relax, have a drink? Uh, I'll be back as soon as I can. Sorry. Gordo, did he just leave us here? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. He's car? leaving us alone in his house. He doesn't even know us. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe it's an emergency. <laughs> well, he did say it was an urgent work thing. What, what, what is it that he even does? This is this is bizarre. Would we ever do this? Well, no, but technically, I would I would be at home to look after guests. If you had to go somewhere, he hasn't got anyone. Honey, don't defend or, him. Or whatever. I'll tell you why he doesn't have a wife. He'd like to be married to you. He'd like you to be his wife. Oh, God, Simon. Yeah. Come on, honey. This guy likes you so much. Tell me you don't see it. Come I on. really don't think that is the reason why. Come was... on, honey. 
Why all the drop-ins and the stop-bys only when you're home alone? Look at this thing. Good Lord. I think you're slightly exaggerating. I think he's obsessed with you, honey. So, the... Uh, that kind that is almost the film in microcosm, I think. It has uh, Gordo being creepy, mm-hmm. being not, sort of creepy, but in a, in a way that you kind of have sympathy for if you... Uh, you, you just feel, yeah, uh, creepy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> creepy, creepy, creepy. Sla- I mean, it, I it think he, the creepy and awkward. He comes across and, as an awkward yeah. character who, again, doesn't feel mm-hmm. completely at home in you know social situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- and then you have Jason Bateman's character, who's very much the antithesis of that. Yeah, yeah. Know, he's the popular guy. He's always having people mm-hmm. round for drinks, and mm-hmm. you know, he's a high flyer in his job. Yeah, very like. Professionally successful, has a nice wife, nice house. And, and Rebecca Hall, in a way, I think hers is the most interesting performance. Definitely. Because she has she has sympathies to what... I mean, even up till the end, when everything has been and, been and happened, you know, she still has sympathies for this guy, and she begins to, you know, dislike and distrust her husband. So she's really the character in the middle. The other two have very clear intentions. Yeah, yeah. and she's the character it's I think like Twilight. who you empathise with the most, I think. Gordo. Yeah. Gordo. No. Oh, sorry. I find him a sympathetic yeah. character. I mean, I, I really. I, 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 I do it. Honestly, I do find him sympathetic towards towards the beginning. Mm. Like I, uh, uh, like when he first meets the two, uh, he's clearly uncomfortable initiating the conversation, but he wants to do it. Like I've, I, I have, I share that anxiety just on a personal level. Like. Mm. Uh, uh, Going up and if I see someone, I'm like, I know that person, do I want to go? I think that's something everyone can really do. Can't be bothered to talk to them, is it slightly awkward, Mm. I don't really know them that well. Uh, but I think Rebecca, what Rebecca Hall does well mm. is she embodies the conflictedness you kind of yeah. have about um, Gordo yeah. in, in the first... Because she's a nice person. She, she is, no, she is nice. She knows that this guy is just one of those guys who, you know, probably struggled in school. And, yeah, you know, and, you know, the unsolicited gifts are weird, but, you know, he's, he's being nice. Really. Seems like he means well. Yeah. And perhaps, well, you know, if... if if maybe if Jason Bateman had been nice at the beginning, you know, of the film, yeah. then it wouldn't the events wouldn't have transpired as they would as they did. You know, you kind of feel like this was a situation that could have been avoided. Yeah. Because he does say, I was prepared to let things let bygones, let be, bygones, bygones be bygones. bygones. Yeah. And I know you were coming back to um Robin's uh, kind of flip at the uh where well the characters kind of Robin and Simon mm. flip roles in the end, uh where as soon as bygones be bygones, um, th- as soon as that happens, that's, uh, that is basically in the middle of the film, it's then Robin that, kind of, that starts to mistrust uh, Gordo, and um, at yes. this point... Mistrust Simon. Well, I think she already mistrusts Simon at that point. Yeah. Uh, the, but she starts to then become scared of Gordo. Like, she starts to see him as a legitimate, legitimate right. threat okay. at that point. And then and is Simon is just, is just saying, no, he's gone. He's out of our lives, out of our lives. And then the more... And then what we see then is them, the two of them interacting and then the more Simon tries... It's a Chinese finger trap, essentially. The more Simon tries to... Uh, Take control. To, to, or tries try to convince her. The methods he does, he uses to convince her that, oh, he's out of our lives, don't worry about it. The, they just push her, her further and further away from him and further and further towards the mm. idea that... She a he's hiding something. 
that has caused Gordo to be a threat, which is later on revealed to be the case. Mm. Um, the uh, so coming back to what I think the film succeeded at, how the film succeeded in with me, mm. uh, the. The Gordo, the character of Gordo, I think he falls into what is called the uncanny valley, is a phrase I've heard. So okay. it's. Uh, have you, so, I haven't heard that. Okay. It's. I didn't think you had it. Um, the closer you get without being perfect, the worse it looks. So, that, like, for example, if, uh, if you build a blow up doll with, a, with just uh, a smiley face on it, for example. Uh-huh. It just it, it, you you know it's not meant to be a realistic portrayal of something. Um, right. So so in in this case, if Gordo just did exactly what he is uh, would would ideally like to do, which is kind of or, or what he would feel most comfortable doing, which is probably just sitting at home watching TV or whatever, mm. then that wouldn't be seen as some some something weird. But he is someone. But but then the, if the blood doll just looks very slight, looks really look similar to a human, but then doesn't uh, quite make, make it. It, it looks creepy. really, really creepy. Right, I okay. think the robot analogy worked better, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, but, okay uh, Blood doll. Anyway, but yeah, Gordo's trying to simulate what he thinks being a nice, right, okay. friendly, sociable person is. Okay. When He's someone a good actor when, playing when, a bad yeah, actor. Yeah, so, yeah. He, he is, he, the Gordo has yeah. heard that when someone moves into the neighbourhood, you give them a bottle of wine. Or you, yeah. buy, you buy them a moving-in present. Mm. And, and he does that. He gives them a bottle of wine and buys them a moving-in present, the fish. Whereas people but, don't really yeah, do that. Well, well you, you do, but, but he does it in such a way that it's almost what you might do, but, but uh, you might... So and he overdoes hey, it. Yeah, he overdoes yeah. does it because he doesn't quite get it right. He wasn't really invited. Okay, can I get my some wine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, so I, I echo what you're saying. There's a sense of foreboding from the very beginning, yeah. from the just wandering around the house. Yeah. I think that's mixed with a bit of music, but also a complete lack of music as well can make it really creepy and foreboding. Yeah. I think that's similar to No Country for Old Men. Right, um, yeah, yeah. In the way that all the silences between everything... Um, and all just the, the sounds of the opening the doors yeah. and the or as you saying for the games the cracking of the egg, you, it makes you feel more on edge mm-hmm. as if there was like a big violin cellist or like in Twilight when they've got like the pauses <laughs> and then they say something or like in Twilight when they're the <laughs> what the strings telling you how to feel all the time, um, you know it's, well like it's, Americans it's, holding up like big signs saying laugh, laugh cry clap. Clap, yeah. What else? I, I, don't think the, I don't think the gift does this. Shall we say? <laughs> yeah, that's my th- it's yeah. the lack of music. Yeah, it, it, I think I, I think it's actually I really appreciate that in films. Mm. It's it's very subtle, and you're not quite sure why you're feeling unnerved, mm. um, because in films you're used to almost constant soundtrack and music in the background. So, uh, another point where this happens in the film is when uh, Gordon has been Gordon has been vanquished at, to. Uh, the, the, the restraining order is taken out, and Gordon is not in the lives. And there is a montage of the lives improving. Yeah. Uh, so where the, things the, are going the, well. Yeah, things, things, things seem to go well, but uh, but the music in the background is just like it, not it's, quite it's, right. it's not it's not quite exactly. You're, you're still on it. Like like just if you're muting it, you would feel completely different to. A, and you're, you're you are experiencing a completely separate emotions to what the. Uh, 
to what the characters on yeah. the screen are. I mean, it was a film, as you said, that it's very rooted in visual and you know audio aspects in terms of. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of moments in the film where I actually jumped. You know, as yeah. a result, as, as you said, those yeah. long sequences where nothing was happening and then you know Jump bang. Scene. Not yeah. in kind of like a quite mm. quite quite bang thing. Yeah, I've, I've rarely seen te- I have rarely seen tension done mm. uh, done better than this. Like, uh, uh, I kind of agree in, in a way that it's not like over overdone, kind of scary, scary. Yeah. Mm. There's a real sense of threat, but you're not sure why there's a threat. Mm. Uh, and that's the thing where until the end, and it has a great, it's, it's, it has a really great ending. So, yeah. yeah. So the um, the the prototypical jump scare is a situation where. Okay, maybe someone's walking down a dark alley, and there is an obvious just, there is an obvious threat. Like there is only well, it's one. Quite, quite, yeah, quite, 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 quite bang. Yeah. And in this, the jump, the jump scares that do happen. There are there are three that I remember. You're you're not, you you feel on edge, but you don't feel on edge because of any specific thing that could happen. Mm. For example, you don't like 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 in in Saw, for example, like you know someone's going to jump out and uh, and kidnap you, yeah. uh, like <laughs> kidnap the main character. Yeah. Like you don't know what exactly it is, but you still feel on edge. You know something's yeah. going to happen. And and then um, the the main the bit the biggest line in the film is when Simon says <laughs> Simon says the um, where he says, isn't it amazing how some people change so much after high school, but some people remain exactly the same. Obviously, and it, and that is basically the setup for him saying, for for, for the film going, yeah, well, he, he hasn't he, changed. He, he ha- yeah, he he thinks he think obviously he thinks he's the one that's changed so much. Yeah. But then it but then it's gradually revealed over the course of the film that he hasn't changed at all. Yeah. From from the bully, he is. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. He is. Um, and you have no sympathy for him whatsoever. Yeah. For by, about by, fifteen by the, minutes in. Really. No. Yeah. 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 He becomes a very odious character very quickly yeah. and plays it really well as well. Yeah. And what you were saying was it's contrary to the sort of public perception of Jason Bateman. I think. Yeah, and I say about Joel Edgerton as well. Um, put a performance that I hadn't wasn't expecting from him. Joel Edgerton, who's in uh, The Great Gatsby, who is in Warrior. Is he Tom in The Great Gatsby? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And he's also in Black Mass, which is the most recent Johnny Depp film. Yeah. And he often plays kind of big, apart from Warrior, Warrior is somewhat more kind of three dimensional, but big, brash characters. Uh huh. Um, slightly over the top. But this is actually very interesting, very subtle performance, and I thought really fantastic directorial debut from mm. him as well. Yeah, fantastic. Very, very I mean, well judging handled. by this, you know, look forward to seeing what else he comes up with. Anyway, we are out of time now. Good consensus about the gift. I mean, obviously... Nick yeah, thanks for bringing it in. Nick, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen it, probably. No, I, I wouldn't have seen it if you hadn't brought it in. And, oh, yeah, welcome. thank you very much for that. And to everyone else, I hope you enjoyed it. It's been an interesting ride. It has been, yeah. Uh, uh, it's been tears, been. laughter. Sadness, joy. Mainly from Joe during Marmite movies. <laughs> <laughs> Crying at how bad the acting was. From his perspective. From my perspective. Yeah. There we go. You know, as we said, some critics... Are better than others. But, you know, everyone is still a critic. Everyone is still a critic. And that's... It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Bye-bye. See you in a couple of weeks.